got a, a slide up here. wanted to ask a question. Does anybody know who this man is? No clue. No idea. His name is Robert F. Smith. He is the CEO of the Vista Equity Partnership. He's also a billionaire. Uh, he spoke at the graduation commencement service at Morehouse College in Atlanta this past May. And during his commencement speech, this billionaire pledged to pay off all the student loans of all the graduates there that day. Did you hear about that in the news? That's this guy, Robert F. Smith. There were 396 students graduating that day from Morehouse. And it's been estimated that their total of student loans that he's going to pay off was anywhere between 10 and $40 million accumulated by those 396 students. You can look at this man and say, that is a generous dude. That is very generous of them. He's giving something to somebody who has nothing. Wouldn't you love to be on the receiving end of some generosity like that? Today we're going to look at our, uh, our generous God, our generous Father. We're going to see Paul explain to Titus, as we continue our series in Titus, as we enter chapter 3 today, we're going to see him explain how God has been generous to them. Now the last two, um, I guess really the last four weeks that we've been in Titus, but specifically the last two weeks, Paul was writing instructions to teach them how to live godly. Do you remember that? We were talking about godliness the last two weeks and how that's part of our goal as disciples of Jesus is to live godly and how to live godly. And today, Paul's going to remind them that it's not your godliness that saves you. It's not your godliness that earns God's favor. It's not your godliness that gives you eternal life in heaven. But it's only because of God's generous grace that we get there. Godliness is in response to God's grace. Godliness is not to get God's grace. God's grace is generous, poured out to us. And Paul points out five ways that God's been generous. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 3 and look at those things. Uh, he just got done in chapter 2 telling the people how to be godly. He's going to start off chapter 3 by telling them a couple different ways and then remind them of God's generous grace. Verse 1, Paul says, Remind the believers, and this is how you live godly still, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. And if you're like me, this is like, No, I don't want to submit to the government. I don't want them taking my tax money. I don't want them telling me what to do. I don't, I don't want that. But he says, You must uh, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. And remember that phrase, do what is good, that means be godly. Always ready to be godly. Godly people are good citizens. Now, first of all, we're supremely loyal to the Lord God above, above all. But secondly, we're to be good godly citizens of the country that God's put us in, the state that God's put us in, the community and the town where God has put us in, where he's placed us. A godly person is not a lawbreaker. But a godly person looks out 
for the community and their neighbors. That's some of the things that we try to do at Freedom when we do our Clothe a Kid ministry in August. We're trying to be good neighbors, share the love of Christ with our neighbors. When we go about Christmas caroling next week, we want to share the love of Christ by being good citizens and sharing the good news with our neighbors. Uh, at my church in Montana, the church we were part of there, we would do blood drives two or three times a year where we would advertise and people would come and they could donate blood and we would house that in our church building. When we started that church in Montana, we rented a elementary school for two years. And then that, that was not an easy go. The principal of the elementary school was an elder in the Mormon church in the town there. And he didn't want to let us use that school, but we got to use it for two years. After we were done using that school, we had built such a good relationship with them. One of the things that we did was at this time of year, Christmas time, we got the secretaries, the janitor, the principal, and the music teacher all gift cards at Christmas time, trying to be generous, trying to show appreciation. You might say, why the music teacher? Because we wheeled the piano out of her room to the gym and cafeteria every week and wheeled it back. We paid to have it tuned twice a year. We did that because we wanted to be good citizens. And then a couple years later, after we had a different building, the principal of that school, he came to us and said, hey, we have to come up with a state-mandated emergency evacuation plan. And as you know, it gets to be 20, 30 below zero in the winter in Montana. If we evacuate the children because of an emergency, we don't want them sitting outside. Can we bring them over to your church building? I said, absolutely, anytime. Come on over. We'll show you where they can sit and they can be in the warmth when there is an emergency. We wanted to be good neighbors, good citizens. Well, what does a good citizen look like? Verse 2, they must not slander. Remember a couple weeks ago we defined slander? Gossip is when I say something with malicious intent about somebody else behind their back, and it's true. That's gossip. Slander is when I say something about somebody behind their back with malicious intent, and it's not true. Do you want to know a good example of what slander looks like today? Look at our government officials and political parties talking about each other. They'll say something about the other person with malicious intent, and a lot of times it's not true because they're trying to spin a sound bite to make it sound like this person is saying something bad. And both sides do that kind of things. Uh, a good citizen, a godly person, must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Now, it's okay, this quarreling, it doesn't mean debate. It's okay to have a debate. It's okay to have a discussion. It's okay to have a disagreement where the goal is to bring a resolution to things. Quarreling, there's no goal in mind. It's just unproductive. It's, again, if you want to look at what quarreling looks like, look at our political parties today. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Think of our world of politics today, and in whatever political party side you lean to, do you slander people that are on the other side of the aisle? Do you quarrel, no productivity, with people who don't agree with you? Or are you gentle and humble in your discussions about politics and, and other things? Godliness in your citizenship can attract people to Christ. But ungodliness in our citizenship pushes people away from Christ. Let's go on to verse 3. 
Paul says, uh, once we, he's saying at one time we, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. You might ask the question, well, how do I become a slave to my lusts and my pleasures? It's when your desires become your master. It's when you you give in to your desires so frequently that quick, pretty soon you don't have any self-control. You're always saying yes. You're not saying no to those desires. For instance, um, for about a year and a half, I didn't eat any sugar. Didn't eat any sugar. Lost about um, almost 20 pounds of weight. Didn't eat any sugar. And then last year around Thanksgiving time, man, my wife makes some serious apple pie. And it's like you eat a little bit of sugar. And then this week, did you ever eat those little Debbie oatmeal pies with the cream in the middle of those things? If you haven't, don't. Don't start. Seriously now. Because I came home and there's a box of those for Josh's lunch. I'm like, ooh, man, I remember how good those things were. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just take one. And before you know it, I've had three. And before you know it, I've eaten the majority of that box. Between Thanksgiving... And today, I ate a whole apple pie and a half by myself. And it's like, I would even tell myself, seriously now, you know what? I'm not going to eat a cookie today. And dang it, if I don't eat four. And what happens is if I don't say no to these desires, they become a master over me. I become a slave to those desires, whether it's a food appetite, a sin appetite, something I look at, something I say, something I listen to, those become our master. And he says, once at one time, that's what you were like. That's what the people in Crete, remember this was written to the church in Crete? That's what they're like now. They just give in to their lusts and their desires and their pleasures. You used to do that once before. And then he goes on to say, our lives were, just like the people in Crete, they were full of evil and envy. And we hated each other. And he's describing the culture that they lived in. And unfortunately, boy, that's probably every culture around the world for all time, full of evil, envy, and hating each other. This is the description of all of mankind. And this is also why we need our generous God. Verse 4, now he says, But you used to live this way, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love. Last week, in chapter 2, verse 11, we read that the grace of God has been revealed he emphasizes it here, when God our Savior, the grace of God has been when He was revealed, when He revealed His kindness and love. And we know that that's this time of year. That's Christmas time. He revealed Himself at Christmas time. When God did that, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Not because of our godliness. He saved us because of His mercy. His generous mercy. He washed away all our sins. Giving us new birth, and new life through the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, He is generous. God is generous. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight, and He gave us confidence that we will have eternal life. Yes. Now, it's true. We're to live as godly followers of Christ. But it's not being a godly follower of Christ that saves us. 
It's not being a godly follower of Christ that makes us right with God. It's by His generous grace that we've been made right. And our godly living is in response to His great grace that He's given to us. So we want to praise God. We want to thank God for that. And we want to look at five things that God's generously given us. And as we look at these five things, let's think about Jesus at Christmas time. He came to earth to generously give us these things. The first thing, God had generously gives you transformation. Verses 3 through 5 describe our previous life. Foolishness, disobedience, slanderous, envy, misled, given into lust, slaves to lust and desires, full of envy and evil and hate. But God saved us. He washed away our sin. Did you catch those words? He gave us new birth, new life. A new life, a transformed life. It's a different life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. No longer selfish and greedy and foolish. No longer slanderous and quarrelsome. No longer a citizen of this world. But now I'm transformed. A godly citizen of heaven. God did that. He worked in your life. He worked through His Word by the power of the Spirit, and you have to cooperate with Him. He does that to transform you. Now, this transformation, it doesn't happen overnight. It's slow and steady, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Slow and steady. When a caterpillar transforms to a butterfly... There's a struggle involved as it grows and it has to break free from its cocoon and it has to develop strength to eventually have wings to fly. There's a struggle involved in developing those things. And as God is transforming us, guess what? He brings us struggles. We share about our struggles. We pray for our struggles, our different physical needs and emotional different difficulties that we have. God is working through those to transform us one step along the way. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Isn't that true? Sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back, or ten steps back. But it's a slow and steady transformation, transforming us to the image of Christ, transforming us to be godly people. And it's for our good that he transforms us, living like Christ, living like a disciple, living godly. And our generous God does that. And he's doing that right now. Just Did you realize we only have three weeks left in 2019? Uh, seriously, I just, you know, I just caught up to putting 2019 on my checks. And then we've got to go to 2020 next year. You've got three weeks left. Think back. How did God transform you in 2019? Is your thought life any different? Do you take thoughts captive? And make them obedient to Christ. We know that the enemy tries to speak to us through our thoughts. He'll whisper things in our ear. Do we shut those things out? Is your speech any different than it was a year ago? Has your speech been transformed? The things that you say to people, the way that you say them to people, the way that you talk about people to their face or behind their back, the way that you talk about yourself, are you braggadocious? How's your speech? Are your priorities any different? Have they been transformed? Do you watch less TV and read more Bible than you did a year ago? 
Has your love been transformed? Do you love yourself less and love others more? How is your love for your spouse increasing? Are your love for your kids increasing? Is your love for your neighbors and your coworkers and the opposite political party increasing? Am I more considerate of other people? Have I been transformed? Have I stopped doing some of those sins that enslave me? Or at least am I doing them less? Have I been transformed in 2019? Let's think forward now. We've got three more weeks until 2020. How does our generous God want to transform you in 2020? God has generously transformed us. He is generously transforming us. And he's also generous to you and me by washing us. Did you catch verse 5 that said he washed away our sins? He's washed us. When I grew up going to elementary school, my, my parents' house was about maybe 250 yards from the elementary school. So I would watch the school. Small town, 400 people, walk to elementary school. And at the end of the school day, they would dismiss by bus. You had the green bus, the orange bus, the yellow bus. And they would call over the loudspeaker, okay, green bus is dismissed. And all the kids from our class from the green bus. And then after all the buses were dismissed, that's when they let the walkers go. Is that, is that a term they use in The Walking Dead, the walkers? I was a walker before they were, man. So then the walkers could go. Well, while we were waiting to go after all the buses were gone, we tried to help the teacher out. And back in those days, they had a blackboard, and there were several of them in the classroom. And when the teacher would write on the blackboard, then erase was on the blackboard. At the end of the day, there was chalk dust on that back blackboard. And what the teacher would have us do at the end of the day for the walkers is we would erase the chalkboards and then have a bucket of warm water with a rag and I don't know why it was so cool to me. It just was a, it would amuse me. I loved, I wanted to use that rag and then wash it completely clean. And then when the water dried, it was like, there's no more chalk. You see, if you erased all the stuff, there was still dust. There was still residue on that blackboard. But when you washed it, it was completely clean as if there had never been anything written on that before. When you think about our sins, and if you were to take all these chalkboards and write out our sins on them, they're written there. They're embarrassing. No, we don't want anybody to see them. Jesus doesn't just come with an eraser and erase them so that they're there, not there anymore. He comes by with that rag of water and he cleans it so there's no residue. There's no evidence. It's not dirty anymore. And Paul was telling Titus, hey, tell the people, man, he's washed you. God is generously. He hasn't just dismissed your sins. He doesn't just ignore your sins anymore. He doesn't just forgive your sins, but he washes you clean as if they were never there to begin with. There's no evidence. There's no residue. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God forgives us, not counting our sins against us anymore. He generously washes us, takes away our sins. He took them, he put them on Christ. Little baby Jesus took the sins of the world upon him, and he gave his righteousness to us so that we are clean. It's as if a beggar went in to see the king, and the king took off his dirty robes, put them on himself, 
and gave the beggar his own robes to wear. That's what he does. He washes us. God doesn't hide our sins. He doesn't cover our sins. He doesn't forget about our sins or overlook our sins, though he does say he he forgets them. He doesn't hold them against us. But through Christ, our sin was paid for. There was punishment dished out for our sins. And Jesus took that punishment when he died on the cross. He took that punishment upon himself, and he generously gave us his righteousness, his cleanliness. He washed us clean forever. No more stink of sin. You might ask the question, what if I sin today? Where is it? Well, it's on Jesus. He already took that sin. Well, do I need to ask him to forgive me if I still sin? Well, yes. We want to repent from sin, turn from sin. We don't want to be enslaved to that sin anymore. When we ask for forgiveness now, it restores that fellowship, that closeness with Christ. So we don't give Satan a foothold. We don't give sin a foothold. We want to break free from that hold of sin. And Jesus has done that, and he's washed us clean generously. We'll keep going. God generously also gives us his Holy Spirit. Verse 6 said that he generously poured out his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. This is, we, you know, we could talk about the Holy Spirit for about four or five weeks. In fact, we might do that in 2020, do a, like a, a series on the Holy Spirit. But for today, just want to point out three things about the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you see this picture? Uh, it's a picture of a dove. And why do we have a dove? It's because when, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in Matthew 3.16, he was in the form of a dove. And the dove signified peace. God gives us generous peace through the Holy Spirit. When you're going through turmoil, asking the Holy Spirit, can you please give me peace? Some of our young people having to make decisions about college and the future and stuff. And there's turmoil. God, give me peace. Health issues that we're going through. Losing loved ones. Facing death. God, give me peace. Probably never surprise you with how dumb I am. Um, on Friday, Friday was my birthday, and so uh, for my birthday we went to uh, the Cavs game. We went downtown. Josh had a game. I was coaching the game at the at the stadium there. We won the game. That was a lot of fun. After the game, went out to to get my car because see we had to hurry to get there and park right outside the stadium. Put enough change in the meter so that I could get in for the game get out for the game, then move my car to one of the lots for after the game. Uh, when I came out to find my car, gone. Completely gone. The street that I had parked it on, plenty of money in the meter, Jeep was gone. My first thought is, somebody stole the Jeep. Okay, do I call 911? What do I do about this? My heart's like in turmoil here. What do we do? And as I'm walking up, I see a sign that says, on December 6th, cannot park on the street after 4 o'clock or it will be towed. Dang it. It was 4.40 at that time. I don't remember seeing that sign. We were in a hurry. It may have been there. Uh, found a cop. Find out where they towed it. Two hours later, $234 poorer got the Jeep out of the impound uh, lot C there in Cleveland. There was a lot of angry people there. A lot of people said those signs weren't up when we parked. It may or may not have. I don't know, but they were adamant there were no signs there when we parked. 
as I was talking to the officers that worked there, I said, hey, you know what? Do, do you ever have any happy customers here? It's like nobody who goes in there is happy. I wasn't one of those guys. But in the midst of all that, it's like, okay, Lord, there's nothing I can do about that. Give me your peace. Help me to enjoy the rest of the evening. I asked them if they gave you like a 50% discount if it's your birthday, and they just laughed at me. God gives us his generous peace through the Holy Spirit. Second thing about the Holy Spirit, and in this picture you see it's a dove, but also it's on fire. Why fire? Well, the Holy Spirit came upon the the disciples in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, in the form of fire. And, And fire signifies consuming power. And the Holy Spirit not only gives us peace, but he gives us power. He gives us power from God to say no to sin, to live godly, to follow after Jesus. He gives us peace, and he gives us power. And God pours out his Spirit generously. You have him. You have him. Oh, how, how did you get him? When you put your faith in Christ, if you've put your faith in Christ, and he took away all your sins, he replaced it with his righteousness, and he replaced it with his Holy Spirit. lives inside you. You have that power. So you have him. The question we want to ask is, does the Holy Spirit have me? Am I submitting and surrendering to him in my life? Next thing God generously gives you is he gives you confidence. I don't know if you notice this or not, um, but he, he said he gives us confidence that we will have eternal life. So he doesn't give us confidence in our abilities or confidence in yourself. There's some popular preachers who, who will stand around and say, you are you're a, a winner, you are successful, you are these things. We don't have confidence in ourselves. We have our confidence in him. Verse 7 says that we will inherit eternal life because of what Christ did for us. He made us right with God. We can have confidence, eternal confidence, today and every day in him. We can have assurance in him that we have eternal life because of what Christ did, because of God's generous mercy. Verse 5 says, He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy, His generous mercy. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't do anything to earn God's favor. We were hopelessly lost, and God divided time and entered time, and Jesus Christ entered this world. We celebrate him at Christmas time. We don't want to make him an afterthought. We want to make Jesus the center point, the focal point of our Christmas. I want you to think back to that first picture that we had of Robert F. Smith, the billionaire, the CEO. Remember he paid off the student loans? How is his generosity different than God's generosity? Think about two different scenarios here. What if you were one of the graduates there that day, one of the 396, and he offered to pay off your student debt, all your student loans, and you thought, wait a minute, I don't have any debt. I don't have any loans. I worked hard while my classmates were racking up this debt and eating pizza and partying. I worked an extra 20, 30 hours a week. My parents drove old cars and vehicles, and they gave and contributed so that I have no debt. 
I earned this on my own. I don't need his help and favor. Then that guy's generosity is different than God's. Because with God, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's no way you could ever pay for it yourself. You can't earn it. His grace, His generosity, and His mercy, um, everybody needs it. Second scenario, what if you started at Morehouse College four years ago with all the other 396 graduates from this past May's graduating class? But what if you didn't finish in May? What if you needed one more semester? Or what if you needed one more class? Or what if you just needed one more credit and you had to finish up summer school before you could graduate? And you weren't one of the 396. Too bad you weren't there graduating that day. You started with them, but you didn't finish with them. Uh, this, this payoff is not available for you, only for the 396. Well, with God, His generosity is for more than 396. It's for everybody. Everybody needs it. Everybody can have it. My question is, have you received it? Have you asked God to give you his mercy? Have you admitted to him, I've got a problem called sin, and I can't do anything about it? But praise God, Jesus Christ entered time. Emmanuel, he's with us. And he not just we don't just celebrate him at Christmas, we celebrate him at Easter too. He died for us to save us through his mercy. New life, new birth, wash away our sins. Have you received that? Have you asked him to do that? Have you latched on to his generous mercy? You can do that today. If you haven't today, if you haven't ever done it, you can say today, Lord, uh, God, thank you for your mercy. I need your mercy. Uh, there's nothing I can do to save myself. But I've got full confidence in you that through Christ I'll be saved. You can do that right now. Tell him that. Receive that gift. And if you have received that gift, let's remember to be thankful for it this Christmas season. Jesus is the focal point. He's the centerpiece. And as we're living thankfully, we want to live godly, like Paul's been telling Titus. And part of living godly is we want to let other people know about his mercy. This is a great time during the Christmas season to let other people know the good news about the mercy of God came to save us. So we want to be generous too, just like our Father is generous to us. Generous to others by letting them know about Jesus.